Hello, and welcome to episode 9 of It Gets Progressively Worse. I'm Brandon. And I'm Kyle. And today, we are joined by a very special guest. With us today is a former mayor from Rhode Island, and now 2024 Republican presidential candidate, Steve Laffey. Steve, how are you doing today? Great. Good to talk to both of you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, we don't, we don't really get a lot of big-name people, so this is, this is, this is very big for us. <laughs> we'll propel you along. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, if, let's just hop right into questions. There we go. We're not very good podcasters. <laughs> I just want to like, make that clear right out the gate. We're, you know, but we're going we're gonna to try our best today. We're going to have a good time, hopefully. And uh, so let's hop in the first question. Um, and we're going to ask this to everyone who comes on, uh, any presidential candidate we're going to get on. Sure. Uh, I'm going to ask you, uh, why do you want to be president? The country refuses to directly confront its problems. The middle class has been destroyed. It's going to take a financial expert, someone who can get people in the right positions at the right time. And quite frankly, guys, someone who has some policies he's willing to share with people rather than the other people stink. Um, that's really what's going on. And, and at least the Republican primary, we have Donald Trump convicted of sexual assault, uh, I mean, indicted. And, and then you have the mini Trumps, right? People who work for him, they love him, they hate him. They loved him before they didn't get a job. Now they hate him. It's just a bunch of sycophants whose websites, when you go to them, have nothing but give me money signs. Mine, stevelaffey.com, can listen to 100 hours of stuff on the same. I made a movie about this stuff that I talk about. So there needs to be some normal person running, and that would be me. But my background is huge, to not use Donald Trump's term, but my background is, is vast on the areas that America needs help. And, and that's just something like when I was doing research for this episode, I was extremely surprised because when you hear someone's running in the GOP primary, you're the, really the only candidate other than Pence to criticize Trump openly, kind of go after him. Oh, Christie and has Chris too. Christie as well, yeah, yes. but they're Christie's mini Trump and then Pence's not important. So why do you why do you feel the need? Like, do you think that'll set you apart enough? The fact that you're going after Trump so openly to kind of make a name for yourself in this primary? I don't really need to make a name attacking Trump. It's not really my point. It's just, you know, when you get indicted on 37 counts and the other people say, like this Mr. Ramazami wants to uh, guarantee that everybody running for president pardons Trump on his first day in office, this is sort of insane, right? I mean, Chris Christie announced he was going to run against Trump just to attack him. Either he forgot how to attack people or maybe when he had this whole announcement about character counts, he forgot to tell people that, oh, yeah, two of his people in Bridgecate went to jail. That worked for him. He left office with a 14% approval rating. Remember when he closed the beaches, but then he sat on them with his family. So, uh, yeah, character counts, uh, Governor Christie. Uh, but, you know, these people, look at Christie when, when President Trump the tape came out about him grabbing females by the wrong parts when a blah, blah, blah. What did Christie say? He's a pretty good guy. So, so, so I don't have any of these problems, but that's really not why I'm running. I'm running because young people are totally hosed by the elites, by the Federal Reserve, by the past four presidents. It's been going on for a long time, and the middle class really doesn't exist, and I'm the only person with any proposals 
specific proposals like Social Security, the Federal Reserve, China, et cetera, et cetera, that are lengthy, that are long, that take time to talk about, but will fix things for our country so that you people will have a future. That's why I'm here. So to, to shift away a little bit from talking about different candidates and more on to you, yeah, let's sure. say what would if you were to be elected president, what would be your biggest priority in office? What would be like the one thing that would be more important to you and your candidacy than maybe any other policy? Yeah, it, and it's it's the first thing on my website under issues called Social Security, a $65 trillion problem. That's what I would do. And and the problem with everybody else is that they well, so for example, Donald Trump won't touch Social Security. Many uh, Trump, DeSantis won't touch it, won't touch it, won't touch it. Nikki Haley will raise the, the, um, the retirement age. She doesn't know how high. She doesn't know what the actual numbers would be. I do. So at stevelaffey.com is a complete plan to take $65 trillion out of our unfunded liabilities, twice our national debt. Young people get a brand new system. Old people get what they got. People in the middle get half of each. You can read it there at stevelaffey.com. I can discuss it for 45 minutes. But this is what has to happen to take the debt of our country down. And for young people who 35 years from now wake up and go, wow, I got $10,000 a month. I, that guy Laffey, he wasn't joking around. See, I'm never joking around. So if I become president, we're, gonna, we're not going to do anything else but fix the first problem. Then we'll do the second problem, not talk about it and talk about it and not do it the way these politicians do things. And so, well, on to continue talking about Social Security, would you be willing, like, how would you respond to people who criticize your method of changing Social Security? How would you, how would you work with either on the other side of the aisle or within the Republican Party itself to make sure that this plan passes or gets through? Well, one, I do what I'm good at. I get on a plane a train, an automobile. John Candy's not around to go with me anymore, but you, get, you just go around and you, and you build public support for legislation. You don't do executive orders. By the way, my plan doesn't come from a right-wing guy. My plan is from Larry Kotlikoff, the senior economic professor at Boston University, the world-renowned expert in Social Security. After getting his doctorate, worked in the Social Security Administration under Reagan, if somebody has a better plan, guys, I'm all in. I haven't found it. I'm not an inventor. I don't just invent these things. What I am is a Harvard Business School graduate who knows how to take the best policies, adapt them, put the right people in charge of them, and get it done. So, yeah, by the way, we can convince people to do this. We can convince a lot of people to, to do it. But we're going to put public pressure on elected officials to get things passed. That's what's missing from the dialogue of the people who run the country. They just talk. So in, in research about you and your past in politics, we found a little bit about after you were mayor, you went on to have an unsuccessful Senate primary campaign. Yes. What did, what did that teach you that you're going to use to influence this presidential campaign? Well, I don't know if it taught me. I mean, the, the truth is that I wrote a book about it called Primary Mistake through, through Penguin Books, the largest book publisher in the world. It, it's still a, a, a well-read book by people who want to get involved in politics. I am the only living or elect 
or dead elected Republican to run for high office to be attacked by the National Republican Party. What did I learn? I learned even more so that it's all about power politics. Anybody like me that wants to actually change things, the National Republican Party will either ignore or attack. That's what I learned. So, but I'm, but, but the side question to that is, Steve, if you get popular and they start whacking you with stuff, how would you react? Well, I've already been through the ringer. I didn't run in 2006 against Lincoln Chafee. Lincoln Chafee by himself and me by himself, I win 75-25. He doesn't stay in the Republican Party like he didn't afterwards, became a Democrat. I ran against the entire national Republican Party that spent millions of dollars to defeat me and, in fact, disaffiliated 13,000 Democrats to defeat me, to vote against me for one day, to defeat me by 3,000 votes in a primary that had a turnout twice of any primary in the history of Rhode Island to this very day. So with the, with the, I mean, and you just said the establishment's against you. Yeah. How do you, how do you plan on overcoming that? Like, is there like a way to avoid that kind of that happening here on the larger scale, avoid a way that you can actually make a breakthrough without, with everything against you? Well, I can make a breakthrough. It won't stop the Republican party from, from being against me that the national Republican party once I do, but to make the breakthrough, Go look at another policy I have. Then you scroll down at stevelaffey.com under issues. You'll see the 999 plan. A man who broke through that they didn't want around, his name was Herman Cain. 2011, Herman and I became friends. He should have been the president. The National Republican Party could not have someone with a new tax plan become president, so they worked eagerly to take him out. So Herman and I talked about what to do if this indeed happens when I do break out. But how do I break out? I'm in New Hampshire. I live here. I'm from New England. I went to Bowdoin College in Maine, Harvard Business School in Boston. I'm from Rhode Island. So my friends from that those days and other campaigns are, are helping me. Part of my family is here. I have six kids. So I will break through. Today This today was the first day that uh, the union leader, the paper of record, uh, the New York Times of New Hampshire, published my first op-ed. It may sound small, but these things are building. I speak nearly every night to different Republicans. By September, I will have broken through, I think. Now, it becomes another problem after that when the National Republican Party says, whoa, we can't have, we can't have someone actually try to unite the country over bringing back the middle class. We, we, they'll say, we can't do that, and then they'll start attacking. But until then, they won't. So basically, if you're a Republican, you have two choices. You got Trump and the mini Trumps, boop, 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 or you have me. That's all you got. You don't have anybody else. You you have Trump and Asa Hutchinson probably doesn't fall into that camp, the former governor of Arkansas. But um, you really just have me if you want to actually fix things. The question is, do people want to? Or do they want to keep arguing and arguing? Or do I, I mean, like, for example, the last five emails I've gotten from Ron DeSantis and, you know, raising money are all about, uh, and President Trump, all about, you know, Marxist on the left, media, attacking me, send me money. If you like that, then I'll go nowhere. If, if there's 95% of the people like that, then I won't go anywhere. I'll just go back to Fort Collins and play with my children. But, um, but if you want real change and to fix the country so that young people have a shot in life to live in the middle class, to live in the upper middle class, to have a better life than the parents, then you only really have me. That's my campaign. And so 
Um, getting into that, you mentioned you mentioned Hutchinson, and both you and Hutchinson have relatively low poll numbers as of that. When Trump was indicted, his poll numbers shot up. So, how do, how do you plan on? Do you think there's still like a way for moderate candidates such as yourself and Hutchinson to make a break, like n- not make a breakthrough, but kind of stand a chance? Like, how do you plan on showing that the mo- the moderate candidate still? Well, well first of all, something? I'm I'm not a moderate candidate. I, I'm a populist conservative. Uh, by populist, I mean that I could take, and I believe this, I get 17 of my buddies from high school to do a better job on the Federal Reserve than the Federal Reserve has done. It's pretty easy to control inflation, guys. It doesn't take, well, these people have PhDs, obviously don't know how to do it, right? So I do. So it's not about being moderate, and it's not about being the former governor. Former governor Hutchinson has no plans to fix the country. He has some platitudes. Uh, so far. So the, it's not really that that angle. The angle is simply this. Are we having a crisis? I, I say we are. Is there anybody running who's actually spoken consistently about what's happening now with China, with the financial crisis for about 15 years straight? Is there anybody who made a movie about it that seems to be an Old Testament prophecy type guy in a secular manner? Because everything I talked about is actually happening right now. No, the answer is no. So how do I break through? It's not about being moderate. It's not about this. It's whether or not I can get to enough people in New Hampshire. So there's a nucleus of people talking, and I cross what I call the chasm, which is what you have to do in a campaign. I was a total unknown in Cranston, just a little city. I know, not little, but the second largest city. Took a couple of months. Now there's more of the Internet, what you guys do, people listening. It has to all come together where I show up in a poll. People put me in a poll. But I'll tell you this, guys. I'd rather be me than Mike Pence. Do you think the vice president of the United States, Richard Nixon, in 1960 started off at 7%? <laughs> Do you think, you think George Bush, the vice president for Reagan, started off at 7%? No, they were 50. These people are going nowhere. I don't even know what they're thinking of running for. I'd rather be the small growth stock that I am and look out six months to where I'll be because I'll be going up. I can't go down. But again, I, how and what exactly happens, no one really knows that. I just got to do what I do best. Go meet voters, keep writing, talk to anybody who will talk to me, get on ABC like I was last Friday night live, one of the biggest stories they did, and people, and then look at this 5,000 comments or whatever where they're 99% positive going, finally, someone who actually has solutions, someone who actually says what he thinks, that just has has to happen ten or twelve more times, then and then everybody will know who I am. Well, hopefully, our podcast in some way can also help spread that message. One thing we want to do real quick is we want to take a, an opportunity to just ask you about some of the uh, issues that are most important to some of our listeners, yeah. so they can kind of see where you stand on those. Sure. So for, first, we've talked a fair bit on the show about gun control before. Where do you mm-hmm. stand on that issue? I am pro Second Amendment. My daughter Jesse, for example, is the national sports representative for 4-H. She went to the National Trap Shooting Contest. I live in Colorado. The Laffies all shoot, and they generally go to the state championships uh, in muzzleloader, in 22 rifle. So um, that's where I stand. All right. And then obviously abortion right now is a hot topic issue as there's been attempts to ban it on the state level and national level. Where do you stand on that? I prayed that Roe versus Wade would be over, over, overturned. It was... And that's it. 
I don't need to do anything else. And as president, I won't do anything else. It's a state issue. That's where it belonged. That's where it stays. All right. And um, now on your website, you have a lot of uh, domestic issues, but domestic problems aren't the only ones that exist in America. And I did, I did pull out the, uh, your position on China, which is uh, very, very well done. I, I, the no trade, great idea. But Republicans go both ways when it comes to Ukraine. Like you have Lindsey Graham, who is fully in support, and then you have Ron DeSantis, who is a Ukraine skeptic. Where do you fall on that? Well, first of all, I don't think anybody is actually a Ukraine skeptic except for Tucker Carlson and the people who, like Ron DeSantis, just simply respond to not run afoul of him to get his support. So they become anti-Ukraine people. Ukraine is extraordinarily important to win. If you have any knowledge of Russian history back from Ivan the Terrible, Russia will always move west. There's a treaty with the Cossacks in 1654. <laughs> There's Potemkin villages under Catherine the Great. You could go on all day about this, folks. And so Ukraine has to win. Russia has to lose. And NATO needs to increase what it's doing. But yes, I find it of critical importance because if they take Ukraine and we do nothing about it, there is a much likelier possibility of an exchange of nuclear weapons when they take Poland, when they take other countries that are members of NATO. The thought process that it would be anything else for Russia means that you know nothing about geopolitical, nothing about geography, and nothing about history. I'm sorry, that, that's just the way it is. So it's very important. That was very well put. And shifting over to one of the United States' other large rivals now, uh, NATO has been expanding into the uh, Asia Pacific. Would you uh, encourage them to continue so, like with cooperation with the Philippines and Japan against the growing threat of China to Taiwan? Well, NATO, I don't know about NATO moving into, the, into those countries. Maybe they are, but I, I don't think that's necessary. What's necessary is to, and I've said this, by the way, I'm the only person who said this consistently and made a movie. Just go to fixingamericamovie.com on my website and find it. Just watch the trailers. I've been saying publicly since 2005 that we shouldn't be trading with communist China. Another thing that everybody knew, but nobody would say because they were they were at the beck and call of large American corporations that were effectively becoming Chinese corporations, Deere, Walmart, etc., right? So this all happened to the point where I said it was going to happen. China built up its military, but and you guys sound young, which is good for you. But everybody was saying back in 2000, all the way to last year, that China would become a democracy if we just gave a, a good trade deal, like we did in 2000, the, entering the World Trade Organization. I said never, never, publicly in 2005 and six running for office, made a movie about it. So what has to happen now, unfortunately, because we're behind the eight ball, is organizing these countries that now know, Japan knows that China's a menace, right? And now China it didn't just become a... a uh, a stronger communist country became a one-party, one-man dictatorship. So now there's a real problem. So yes, we have to organize, and we are organizing with Australia, submarines are being built, et cetera, et cetera, to buttress the growing China menace. But the menace goes away because their population is declining, 
They're missing 100 million people they didn't measure correctly because they were a communist country and they didn't count them. Long story. And, um, and so they import most of their food and lots of their oil and they need this other stuff. So we got to crack down on them and get the manufacturing out of there. It'll take a while. And all they're left with is T-shirts, whatever. But we got to do that to make sure that our children and we avoid a war. So I've been consistent. Again, when you talk to me, I've been consistently saying the same thing like a broken record for nearly 20 years on all these subjects. But go ahead. All right. So going back to some domestic policy issues. Where do you stand on a potential minimum wage increase? Do you believe that it should be increased, as some progressives have called, uh, to up to $15 per hour? Or do you believe no. that it should stay where it's at? I don't think you should. I, I think states can decide minimum wage. I don't, I don't agree in any minimum wage myself. All a raise in minimum wage does is two things. It hurts really poor people, people who came out of prison, who can't produce $15 or $20. Or 30, whatever. Because, by the way, progressives, when you get 15, they want 20. When you get 20, they want 30. I don't know, you know, philosophically where it is in any moral that land that you tell me how much to pay my workers. Now, years ago, when Allentown, Pennsylvania, the turn of the 19th century, you know, you couldn't leave. And they had uh, massive power over their employees. Okay, there were real problems. That's why unions developed, rightfully so. But the other thing that happens is, you know, go look up the word soda jerks. Young kids serving soda back in the day. It's a term used. Why do you think McDonald's fairly soon won't have any employees or one or two employees in McDonald's? They don't want to deal with the wage cost. So where do young people get their first job? Places like McDonald's. So you're driving young people out, especially poor inner city young people who need to get that first job. But the progressives and other people don't care about that. What about a guy gets out of prison at 23? He can't make $15 an hour for employee. Where does he go? What does he do? By the way, with inflation from the Fed, is anybody making less? I'm not saying that people are, I know, but why don't you leave it up to the, to, to the competition of the marketplace? Well, can, and this comes back to the question of, can you trust these corporations to act in the best interest of people, right? So no. No, so, you so then wouldn't some kind of minimum wage increase likely be needed? So let's say you've talked about the examples of like in inner cities. If you have a single mother in inner cities and she's maybe not qualified for a great job, but she still has a family to support. She can't live off of $7.30 an hour or whatever. And yes, that's not happening very often. But what would you say to someone like that? Who I would say, like how does she get the $15 job? They, the, they'll, the big firms like McDonald's will automate and she doesn't get the $15. Nobody gets it. A robot gets it, folks. By the way, no one's saying that corporations act in the best interest of their of their uh, uh, anything. But the invisible hand of Adam Smith has a way of working. So, yes, are there problems? Yes. But the minimum wage hasn't solved one of them. We, we, what evidence is there that it solved the problem, that that, that, that lady got the job she can't... Which employer then says, I'm hiring that person to pay him 15 bucks an hour, but they produce six bucks for me an hour? Which employer does that? Or, or are you going to make them hire the person? So we live in sort of a Stalinistic 1984 world. You're going to make them hire someone and take the money from it at a point of a gun. I'm not into that. Yeah. All right. So then, so then we, have, we have one more specific policy question that we want to talk about. And that comes with drug legalization, specifically marijuana legalization. Mm -hmm. Where do you stand on that? I'm against it. 
Are you against it uh, completely, or do you believe that that should be on a state-by-state -state level as it is now? Well, it will be on a state-to-state -state level. It's fine. I mean, they can do that. I'm just simply against it. I, I, I grew up as a young man and watched people smoke and dope. It was definitely a gateway drug. It was one-twelfth the THC that's in, a, in, in today. I live in Colorado. I watched them legalize it. I watch people jump out windows. I watch death fatalities go up. I see young kids' brains being burned, um, psychotic breaks. All this is actually happening in Colorado today. No one seems to care. By the way, seems to be more popular after people legalize it in the state than before. Doesn't mean it's ba not bad. It's bad. Now, am I going to spend any time on it as the president? No. <laughs> Folks, is it on my website? Is like one of the things I want to do? No. But you ask me a question, I give you an answer. I don't mince words. I'm against it. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining our show today. It really meant a lot that you were able to come on. And hopefully this will uh, help get some positive press for both you and us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, great, great, great. Good questions, guys. And keep going. I'll come on again. Let's go get the other people to come on and, and, and grow everything. <laughs> well, you'll right. be a, you're a great first step. Thank you so much right. again. Yeah, thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye.